Matthew 6, um, verses 9 through 13, and follow along as I read the passage aloud. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. Last week, um, Ashley, my wife, and I had an appointment on, uh, on Market Street, right, right down here and, uh, in San Francisco. And right outside of the office where we were uh, meeting were three young adults. And uh, they were all uh, very strung out on drugs. Uh, their clothes were destroyed. Um, their hair was matted down in a combination of grime and sweat and probably a lot of other things, and they were uh, in a circle. There's two, um, two uh, guys and a gal. And they were in a circle trying to shoot up. And several people walked by, and none of them were tourists. They were all local people that were walking by. And they looked at them, these, these people that looked like they'd been in San Francisco for a minute. They looked at them, um, in something beyond sadness. It was more of an exhausted anger, uh, a resignation even. And some, someone passed by them and said to them, you need to clean yourself up as they walked by them. And Ash and I, as we made eye contact with them, we said hello and then just then the door opened and the person that we went to see said, come in. And so we came in and as we did, um, we sat down and in the midst of our conversation with our, our friend um, on like, how, how have you been doing? What's been going on? This person had been, has been in the city for you know, 30 plus years. And um, our friend who we were meeting with told us a story of a friend of hers and their young only son. And their son was in a bar in the city a few months ago, catching up with a friend in a booth when a fight broke out at the bar. And this young man stood up to try to break up the fight, and in the middle of the scuffle, one of the men pulled out a gun and shot him in the stomach. And he died before the ambulance could get there, just bled out right there before the ambulance could get there. And Ash and I sat there, like, stunned by the story, just, like, so stunned that this happens. And our friend was still viscerally upset by this, like, super, super shook, and she was shaking her head. She was just, like, the senselessness of it. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. If you read our local newspaper or follow them on Instagram, or whatever you do, you will see in here that there is a deep sadness amongst local people in the city right now. There's like, a, there's like an ache. And it's not just an ache of drugs and guns. It's a deeper ache than that. I believe it's an ache that there are some things in this life that are beyond you. There are some things in this life that you can't fix that no matter how rich a city is, how motivated its citizens, that there are some things that we can't solve, that we can't fix, that no matter how much we pride ourselves about progress in a city like San Francisco, people still get shot in bar fights like we're living in a Western and it's the Wild West. And that ache, sometimes manifested in anger, other times in resignation, mainly in resignation now, that ache that things are beyond us is at the very center of this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a prayer. It's a request. It's a petition, which means only God can answer it. We can't answer this prayer. Our progress can't answer it. Our conservatism can't solve it. Our activism can't put a dent in it. And all of our shouting and finger pointing on social media can't fix this. Only God can fix this. Now, don't get me wrong. We humans do and build beautiful things. Humans are awesome. Humanity can work together to truly accomplish remarkable things. But it does seem like all the things that we do make and we do build are somehow tainted with things like inequality and racism and greed and oppression. Somewhere along the line, there is inequality in every bit of progress that we make. Like, how do we get all these railroads across our nation? Like, who really built the White House? How, do we, how did America get, and the world get, get access to all the wonderful beaches in Hawaii? Like, how did that really happen? And we all know the answers to those questions. And it does seem like the Smith from the Matrix was right when he said that humans are kind of like a disease on this planet. And maybe we can't help it. There might be stronger forces at play here than just humanity. See, when Jesus says, your kingdom come and your will be done, it assumes that God's kingdom isn't here and his will is not done. When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's as if God's kingdom isn't here and his will isn't. It's like if I called my daughter into my room, my words assumes, assume that she's not in my room. Like I say, Juniper, come here. What I'm asking of her is to come into a space because, in this space, because she's currently not in this space. So come here because you're not here. So Jesus says, here's how you, to, you are to pray. Your kingdom come here. Your will be done here on earth, here as it is in heaven because it's not here fully. It assumes that God's will isn't here, not entirely, that his will is not being done, not totally. So if Jesus teaches us to pray like that, we can assume that we pray, we pray this, God's kingdom come, because it's not really here and his will is not done, which begs the question, which we should ask this question, whose kingdom is here and whose will is being done? This is an important question. If it's not God's kingdom here, if it's not God's will here, well, whose kingdom is here and whose will is being done? This is an important question. A few verses later, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. It also assumes that there are other rival kingdoms, other territories, other lands, other realms we can seek as well. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? So to truly understand this prayer, we have to go back to the beginning to frame some stuff up. We have to frame this like, what does this mean on earth as it is in heaven or heaven and earth? So what I like to do is I like to frame up for you what this prayer means, and it's like kind of short, I'll do a short biblical history of it. Well, I won't. You'll see that in a second. Um, and then I want to practically end with a few ways we can pray this prayer. We can really, really pray this prayer as a congregation. So to actually frame up, I want to do something that I haven't done in about maybe seven years, I think, the last time I played this. Um, I, I, showed a, a, I want to show you a video from the Bible Project. And you might have seen this. Maybe you haven't. But um, I think this should be played like every year, honestly, because it frames up actually what the 
Bible is all about, what the, the story of the Bible is really all about. And it's about heaven and earth. So this is like just a like six, seven minute little cartoon, which I probably, you're probably stoked about on a Sunday morning. Um, here's your Sunday morning cartoon. And then hopefully it starts to unpack or shed light on this, like what is heaven, what is earth? Why did Jesus say, uh, let your will be done on earth as it's in heaven? So here's this video. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right, so we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling 
among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, behold, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Yeah, it was good. <clears throat> okay, so now I hope that you have some working knowledge of heaven and earth. And I don't think it's an understatement that uh, Tim in that video said that heaven and earth is what the Bible is all about. I don't think that's an understatement. Now, we still haven't answered the question, whose will is being done on earth if it's not God's will? And how does all of this turn into prayer? Because Jesus told us to pray this. Now, I need you to turn to Colossians 1 with me. So if you have your Bible, if you're in Matthew, turn to the right to Colossians chapter 1. It's um, in the epistles, this is like all the letters of Paul um, after Philippians. Uh, chapter one, verse uh, 13. Now we need to contrast the kingdom of God with another option. And the option can't just be sin because that's too easy, that's too simplistic. The video couldn't get into all of that but other videos that they do, you can watch, gets into this a little bit more uh, deeper, but we need a contrast. I can talk all day about the kingdom of God, but unless you have a working understanding of the kingdom that opposes God's kingdom, like the first century listeners had, you won't have a clue what we're up against. So look at what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 13. Paul says, for he, that is Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into 
the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul here seems to think that people live in a domain, under a dominion, and that dominion is one of darkness. And we have to be rescued into the kingdom of the Son he loved, which is another way of saying into the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated. Now how, so there's a kingdom of darkness, and there's a kingdom of God, a kingdom of light, right? This darkness that it seems is the default residence of humanity And there's a kingdom of God that's breaking into time and space, trying to rescue people out of this into the kingdom of God. Now, how did we get to the place where our residence is darkness? That no matter how much good we do in this world, how much progress we make, we still live in this dominion of darkness where things that we do that are awesome are still tainted by darkness. How do we get there? Now, you have to remember Eden. Remember heaven and earth overlapping? Heaven and earth overlapping is, was like God's headquarters on earth. This is where God was. This is where he put Adam and Eve. And he said to Adam and Eve, I want you to spread Eden all over the world. He said, take this, be fruitful and multiply, and then subdue the earth. That is, take over the earth with Eden. This is what... Um, this was the mandate. Now, they couldn't do it alone. This is why God said, be fruitful, multiply, have a bunch of babies that, that they too partner with you in spreading this heaven and earth like collision all over, this like combination of heaven and earth all over the world. Now, my seminary professor would say the word subdue is a military word, which means they would be going through some warfare to get Eden all over the world. But the fight was brought to them in a form of a serpent. And this serpent was the devil, the deceiver that we learned from Revelation. And this evil being tempts and pulls Adam and Eve into rebellion against God and his will for the entire earth. And then they sin. This is what the video was talking about. And thus begins the early stages of what theologians call spiritual warfare. A battle between good and evil and a long war against God and his people. And this war is fought on two battlegrounds. One is seen, and one is unseen. Now, I admit this is a very strange story. Talking snakes and forbidden fruit. But what the lesson here is, and what the story is teaching us, is that God has cosmic competition when it came to humanity's destiny, and he still does. There is cosmic, unseen competition for humanity and the way the world is going. And because God does have competition, because there is a realm of darkness, a kingdom of darkness that truly seeks to turn humanity into warring, killing, consuming, distracted, numbed out, angry enemies, Jesus teaches us to pray Like he himself prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You will have no idea how important that prayer is if you do not understand the kingdom of darkness. Here's why. You're thinking, you think, if you don't have any concept of the kingdom of darkness, you think that you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done to God, who's like, that's what I want. It's like, well, if you want that, why don't you just do it? Well, because I don't really want to do it right now. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. It only makes sense when you, when you have the, 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 the entire story of the, competi- the cosmic competition of God and this darkness that is... Now, why can't just God just wipe away everything right now and make everything good? Because that would be cheating. 
That would be cheating. Here's why. God gives humanity free will. He actually gives cosmic beings free will. And God is winning the hearts and the minds of people who live in alignment with his realm, his kingdom, to bring, his, to bring about, through partnership with God, his kingdom on earth. And ultimately, God will do this entirely. Now, when we pray this prayer, we are saying as humans, with free will, that we do want God's will. That we choose God's kingdom over the kingdom of darkness. We say to the powers, to the darkness, that we belong to the kingdom of the beloved son. And not just that, but we stand in places and ask God to bring the kingdom into places of injustice and pain and anger and sadness and loss and hopelessness. We actually can carry the presence of God into a place because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus says, Paul says, don't you know, why, why, why would you commit sexual immorality? Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Which is like mind blowing. That that thing, that hot spot where God was now lives in you. And because of that, you can actually bring about the presence of God into a place. And you can stand in a place and say, your kingdom come, your rule come, your will be done here, right now, as it is in heaven. In my life, in my body, and in this place. And through prayer, we, are, we align ourselves with this unseen, ultimate, true reality, this kingdom this reality of the presence of God and his rule and his will. And we intercede on behalf of a broken world with no solutions. And we're asking God, make your will known and your will done in San Francisco as it is in heaven. This is, this is like, I think this is like one of the mandates that we have. I, th- I think that the, the, the first mandate that was given to humanity, Adam and Eve, was to take the garden, and the, and, and the Eden, the Edenic kind of promise that God is with them, walking with them in the cool of the day, take it and subdue the earth and spread this so that the whole earth is filled with basically God's space, Eden. And they get, dist- not distracted, but they get tempted, they get rebellious. And I think that the new mandate is very similar, that we are to take the presence of God that we've been given by Jesus' work on the cross. We're to take this and we're to spread it. We're to take it into our cities. We're to take it in our neighborhoods and we're to pray and partner with God in spreading um, the kingdom of God through prayer and through our work, obviously. We'll get to that in a second. But we don't because we're tempted with all these other things. We want to make a lot of money. We want to be happy. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We want to be safe. We don't want to get hurt. And so we don't. And so we stay inside and watch Netflix. When there's a whole city that's resigned, depressed, and angry, that does not understand, that really longs for the kingdom of God, but they've been deceived away from it. And we have it, we just keep it locked inside of a room. Now, how do we pray this prayer? Your kingdom come, how do we do it? I just wanna, as we end, I wanna get really practical. How do we do this prayer? First, 
Okay, I, I wanna apologize. There's three points and they all start with P and it's horrible, but that's what it is today, okay? <laughs> Had very little sleep um, this week, so um, here, here it is. First, P is pray. Now this is an obvious one, but you have to pray this prayer. Do you understand, this is a prayer? You, you can't just want this, you have to pray this. We have to make it a regular part of our prayers and our prayer life. We have to pray, Lord, your kingdom come here at my work, here in my family, here in this church, here in this block, here in my neighborhood. We have to pray this. You can't vote God's kingdom into existence. In a very real sense, we can't even, we can't even really bring God's kingdom. It's not ours to bring. We can witness it, we can proclaim it, we can seek it, and most importantly, we can pray it into existence, but it's something that God must do. Now, he will do it through us, but he must do it. Do you understand that? You can work all you want. I'm bringing the kingdom of God into this neighborhood. You, yeah, have fun with that. You have to pray this in. You have to proclaim this in. You have to witness this in. You have to seek it. But God's the one who does it. Now, God will use us for sure. But in the end, it's a prayer, something that God can only do by his power. It's beyond us. When we were walking by these three kids, it's, that is beyond us. That's beyond anyone in this city with all the resources that we have. It's beyond any of us. We need God to intervene and break in. Amen. So we must pray this prayer. And in praying this prayer, we might just become a part of the answer to this prayer. That's the point. But it must be sustained by prayer. Point one. Point two, proximity. The way that we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, is with proximity first to God and his kingdom. We have to actually live in the kingdom. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount is um, one of the, Dallas Willard says, it's, it's the way you live in the kingdom. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus teaches us how to pray and how to, how to, where to put our treasure and how to treat enemies and how to love and how, to be, not, how not to be angry, like well, these sort of things that we do is the way that we live in proximity with the kingdom of God, that we actually become like Jesus. So we need to live in proximity to God and God's kingdom, but actually in proximity to God in intimacy. This, is, this takes a cultivated prayer life. This takes us being still before God. This takes us... Um, developing uh, habits and, and rituals in our lives, a life of prayer, which is kind of what we've tried to introduce through praying um, the morning, noon, and night as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. So it takes proximity to God. We have to stay near God. You just have to. But not just that. We need proximity to the city. Late on Friday night, I flew in from Hawaii uh, I was there this last week um, with our, uh, uh, the church that we planted in uh, Honolulu. And, um, and then the second half of the week, uh, my wife and I celebrated 20 years married. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. And so we flew back late Friday night and woke up Saturday yesterday morning. And it was cold and foggy. <laughs> and I'm like, October is the best weather in San Francisco. And then I was like seriously depressed. I'm like, what is the deal? Why is it, you know, you ever get mad at the weather here? Just so mad at the weather. And it's so, it's so stupid, but we do. Like, we're so mad. I'm like, it's October, bro. Like, come on, like, no more fog. And in the past four months, I lost uh, 
a lot of friends who moved away, uh, a lot of members of this church that moved away, and people really close, people that were getting close to. And I know that there are several more of my friends and people in this church that are considering moving away. And then you read the local news and how many people are dissatisfied in San Francisco. And to be honest, over the last season, I've become dissatisfied with this city because it's completely changed. Like everyone says, the city's not the same as it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years. There's something that has just been completely obliterated in COVID. And I came to this realization yesterday when I was like in my office kind of trying to put together this sermon and it was freezing and I had my little space heater on and it's like foggy and I'm like so depressed. I'm like, I'm, I'm still a little bit tan and it's gonna be gone in a day. <laughs> this fog sucks the tan from me, you know? And I have this realization that we have a choice. I have a choice. Many of us have a choice. We can abysmally live in the city. We can just kind of live in the city, kind of just like disengaged, sad for what has become since COVID, hoping to move away someday soon. Or we can wake up to what God is doing and wants to do in the city. And if you're gonna live in San Francisco, if you're gonna live in it, like live in it as a follower of Jesus, why in the world would you live here if you're not living here for the kingdom of God? We can turn all of this darkness that we feel into prayer we can turn prayer into real service to be, the, to be followers of Jesus at a time when the city really needs the church. See, the, church, the city doesn't really feel like they need the church when everything is going well, when we're winning like World Series and championships and all the, all this, there's tons of money here and everybody's happy here and it feels like weather here is perfect all the time. Even if it's not, you don't really care because they have great restaurants to go to. But when all that seems to be gone, the, the city starts to feel it. And the, I think right now, more than anything, the city needs the church. Amen. So I left my house and I went on a prayer walk. I parked right here at the church and I went and I walked and I prayed and I repented for like, for like thinking that the city owes me something or thinking that I want the city to be a certain way. I looked people in the eyes and I saw people like viscerally angry. I saw two people that wanted to like punch me for no reason. I'm just walking, looking them in the eyes and kind of praying under my breath, sometimes out loud, but like praying. And then two people I thought like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be on the news. Like I'm gonna legit get beat up. And you see this, this anger, this like, this like head down, don't want to talk to anybody, something like over the city. And I had to reinvigorate my heart to God's heart for San Francisco and pray and walk and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here, here. And I was reminded that we started our church by walking the city and praying. Like this is like literally in the foundational documents of our church, not that old, but in like the ethos of our church. This is like how we started, the foundation of this church was like walking the city and praying, and praying this, your kingdom come, your will be done. And there's something about that that needs to be reinvigorated in, our, in, our, in the life of our church, that I can so easily just stay in my office here at the church all day long. I can so easily just stay in my house all day long and go to the places that I know. Or I could spend an hour in prayer possibly prayer and fasting, walking the city and praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. To see God do something in our time that like you can't explain it in any other way other than a move of God. Which leads us to the third thing, and that's passion. And you have to want it. You have to desire the kingdom of God to come. You can't desire another kingdom, the kingdom of self, 
the kingdom of your business, the kingdom of you know, sustainability or comfort. You have to want God's kingdom. You have to want the kingdom of God to break in no matter what that costs you or costs us or what it looks like, what it feels like. Walter Wink, who's a very famous theologian on intercessory prayer, says intercessory prayer, this is really what we're talking about is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. And I believe that God has promised so much that if we agree in prayer, that we agree in prayer, that if we ask and seek and knock, that if we partner in prayer with him, that he will answer, which leads to another, this is not on the screen, but a fourth P would be persistence, but I'm, I can keep this going all day. <laughs> and just consist, can persist in prayer, not just like a month, but continue to persist in prayer. And so, okay, I'm sorry, the fifth one is practice. Okay, this last one. <laughs> not on the screen, but here's how we're gonna practice this, okay? We're gonna do some, um, this Thursday, we're gonna do the Justice in Prayer Night as, uh, as Lindsay announced. And what we're gonna be doing is, and this is really good introduction for you to learn um, how prayer and justice go, they have to go hand in hand. If you just pray and don't do anything, you're, you're like, your justice is wonky. But if you like do justice and you don't pray, um, your, pr your prayer life is wonky. Like, you, you actually have to do both. This is a prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it also leads us to become people who, who a lot of times become the answer to this prayer through our justice work. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna hear from a few people who live in certain neighborhoods that we're gonna go and pray, uh, walk and pray. And we'll teach you how to do a prayer walk. And, um, and I, I, from there, I would love for you just to, Build it maybe once a week that you leave your office or you leave your house, you take your kids for a walk and you just pray. You do 30 minutes where you're walking around your neighborhood and praying. 30 minutes where you're walking around a different part of the city and praying. And you're praying your kingdom come and your will be done. The other way we're practicing this is the prayer rhythm, the praying three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And the morning is this prayer through the Our Father prayer, the Lord's prayer. And then at noon, which I found to be so helpful, is praying for the lost, like reorienting myself to pray for the lost. And the app that we, that we uh, put in our newsletter helps us to help lead you through all this. It's so simple and really, really good. And the evening is just a prayer of examine, which is a prayer of like, God, where were you today? Was my mind on you? Where did I get distracted? Where did I really sense your presence? Where did I like disobey when I you told me to do something and I didn't? Just, just to be aware. And the more you are aware of God, um, the hope is that you're aware of God um, every minute of every day. Now, that's, you, might, you might be 90 by the time you get there, but that's the goal. That's the hope. Let's stand and pray.